right. Good morning. I don't have a pulpit to hide behind today. It's kind of a bummer. If you guys throw food and stuff, I really can't get out of the way, can I? Yeah. Preach from over there today. All right. Uh, We've been doing Fruit of the Spirit for the last few weeks, and I'm just going to read Galatians 5.22. If you guys don't know where Galatians is, you can do the uh, go eat popcorn routine. That's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. That's how we used to teach people where these books were. So in 522, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And I, you know, we always teach our kids you know, the fruits of the Spirit song, and they love to go through there and tell you what the fruits of the Spirit, but they never put that in, in there, do they? Uh, against such, there is no law. And it seems so insignificant, right, that Paul says that. It's just kind of, it's kind of just left off. But it's, it's really the most important thing about your Christian walk and life. It's the most important thing to understand. Uh, Paul, all through Galatians, actually builds on this point. Um, I'm going to go back to Galatians uh, chapter 1, verse 6, and just kind of take the, the greater uh, context in this book into mind here. So in chapter 1, what, uh, let me go back a little bit. What's going on with the Galatians is uh, Paul brought them the gospel. Uh, they were freed. They were baptized into Christ. They're enjoying this freedom, and then the, uh, the Jewish, the Jewish uh, proselytizers, are, they're coming along saying, hey, you've got to be circumcised, you have to keep the Sabbath, you've got to keep yada, 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 and all these different feasts, and Paul's like, absolutely not, right? We don't live under law. So in verse 6, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel. He calls it a different gospel which is not another, meaning that they, they're not, you know, they, they're just tweaking it just a little bit. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel of heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Meaning, let him be under the ban. Ban him. And he says again, as we have said before, now I say again, you can read all of Paul's writings, and he'll not repeat himself. He repeat, this is so important, he repeats himself again. As we have said to you <clears throat> before, now I say again, if anyone preaches another gospel to you than what we have received, let him be accursed. He's pretty serious about this point. Living in freedom is so important. I'm going to go to uh, chapter 3 now in verse 3. And he says there, are you so foolish having begun in the spirit that you are now being made perfect by the flesh? Christ has made you perfect. Okay, so what are you doing? Going out and you're celebrating these Sabbaths and keeping these things to please God? You're already pleasing to God without the law. And I'm going to go to uh, chapter 4, 9 and 10. But now after you have known God or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you would desire again to be in bondage? You observe days 
and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Take a jump over to chapter 5 and verse 7. And he says, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. We have Christian groups out there. You know, some of them are not Orthodox Christian groups, but some of them celebrate the Sabbath. You have to keep the Sabbath or you're going to hell. Paul just talked about that. We're free from the law, right? So, you know, the question arises, why was the law given then? Right? So, let's go back to chapter 3. And it's funny because you can ask this this question. Most people don't know the answer to this. So, in in verse 3 in chapter 3 and verse 19, it says, What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions. It's because God's people, Israel, was so off the chain, so disobedient, that he's basically like, I'll make a deal with you. If you follow this law, I'll bless you immensely. But if you don't follow this law, you'll be cursed. That's how he had to deal with Israel, is like brute beasts that they had, they had to follow these rules just so God could move them through the wilderness into the promised land and get them to a position where He could work through them. And all throughout history, they turned and worshiped other gods, right? And God sent an enemy on them, overtook them, drug them away to Babylon, and He left a remnant there. And then He brought them back, and then they were overcome again, then He brought them back. And it was a constant discipline process that had to happen for these people to stand up for God. It's, it's unbelievable. So that's what the law was made for. And is that us? Do we need that? We don't need that. Let's go to Colossians chapter 2. He kind of expounds upon this again in verse 11 there. And he says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of this world and not according to Christ. For in Him dwells all the... uh, That's a wrong verse, guys. That is terrible. Where am I at here? I am human, John. That's for sure. Let's go to verse 16. So let no one judge you in food or drink regarding a festival or new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the body, nourished and knit together uh, by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God." Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of, of this world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations? We're doing that to ourselves. Like, man, I want to be under a system of laws. It's so much fun being told what to do all the time and when to do it, right? Who wants that? I used to know a Catholic priest that was an alcoholic and he was a Baptist, and he actually joined uh, the, the Roman Catholic Church because it offered him the discipline he needed to get out of that life. And good for him, you know, we do need some discipline from now, now, you know, at times. And a lot of times if we're left to our own devices, we do wrong things. 
So we do need that discipline, but when we arrive at Christ, there needs to be a different motivation. There needs to be something that guides our life that isn't law, right? Do not taste, do not touch, uh, wow, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all, all concern things which perish in the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed in religion. You know, when you look at, you know, these churches that have a lot of regulations and these big ceremonies and, you know, you go to the, Roman, you go to the Mormon church, right? You get married uh, temporally and then you go into this inner sanctum and now you're married eternally and, you know, there's all these special functions and it all looks really wise. It all looks like, man, they're just really disciplined people and my church doesn't have any of that right? That's the stuff that Paul is talking about here. It's all, it's all vain. It does nothing in terms of perfecting you in God's eyes. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but there are no value in, in, in regards to the indulgence of the flesh. Paul says in Romans that we are baptized into Christ's death, do you know any laws that have been made by God or this world governments around the globe that applies to dead people? Is there any laws you can think of like, oh, yeah, dead people have to keep that law. Oh, yeah, they're breaking that law, right? There are no laws for dead people. And that's what Paul's trying to get across is he's saying, you died. What law is over you? There is none. So if you go back to being circumcised and to keep the law of Moses, Galatians, you've fallen from grace. That promise of grace, you've fallen from it, right? You're already perfect. And he says that in Galatians chapter 5. In verse 4, he says, You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace, right? We don't need the law. That does not make us perfect before God. And if, you, if there's any questions about this, you know, this, this sermon today, please come and see me. You know, we can sit down, have coffee, talk about this stuff. I know there's a lot of people really hung up on portions of the law that we need to keep. And I'd love to talk to you about that if you're out there. And it, we can go through hours of this stuff. We can go through hours of this stuff and, and talk about it. Um, but we don't need to be motivated by it. I'm just going to drop this in here. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. He says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Through love, serve one another. For all of the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Our motivation is love. Our motivation is loving people. If you loved people, would you murder them? If you loved people, would you covet your neighbor's things? If you loved, your, if you loved people, would you sleep with your neighbor's wife? If you love people, would you rob people? <laughs> right? We, we wouldn't do anything wrong. If, if, if we had their best interest at heart all the time, we wouldn't do anything wrong. That should be our motivation. So ladies, if you could, per, if you could picture the perfect kitchen, 
right? DIY show, right? And these contractors, they're going to come in and they're going to build you this beautiful kitchen. You're like, yeah, I want this island and that of marble and I want this and that. You know, Diane's kitchen is absolutely beautiful. You know, if you could think of the, 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 did you design that kitchen, Diane? So yeah, you designed that kitchen and it's like, it's this, it's this beautiful kitchen, right? It's just how you wanted it. Would you want to see dishes stacked clear up to the ceiling? Would you want food all over the floor? Is that your perfect kitchen, right? It's not, right? It's not your perfect kitchen, is it? If you could picture the perfect home, would it involve kids that are running around screaming? Telling you, no, <laughs> running the other way. Would, you, would that be the perfect home? No, it's a, if, you could, if you could picture the ideal husband, right? Would he be an abuser? Would he yell at you? No, not really, <laughs> right? I, that's not per, nothing perfect about that. What's plaguing our church so much today, and it has been for a long time, is mediocrity. We know that we're free, so we don't do anything. We have no discipline. We have no desire to be better than what we are. It's mediocrity. And you can see that in art, you know, and if this goes a little bit long, it's Ed's fault because we talked this morning and he put these things in my brain and I'm like, yeah, that's a good point. I got to use that in the sermon today. <clears throat> so it's your fault, Ed, if I go long. <clears throat> if you look back on art, right, and you see these sculptures uh, and <clears throat> you see them, they're, they're reaching their hand out like this and <clears throat> they actually, <clears throat> oh man, excuse me, they actually carved into that stone the muscles in the arms that actually caused the fingers to reach out. You know, you look at the beauty of the art that used to be around the 16, 1700s, and then you look at art today, it's horrible. Some guy took a paint can, splashed it on a canvas, and they're like, it's beautiful, look at the... And we're, we're really celebrating mediocrity. And that's what we're doing, we're celebrating that. And everybody climbs on board. There was a social experiment... <clears throat> it's called Solomon something. I don't remember what the social experiment was called. It's on YouTube. You can look it up. It's basically five guys in a room. Four guys are in on the experiment, and the fifth guy is not, right? And so they put out this chart, and it's got three lines on it, and they have to pick the number of the line that's the longest line. And so the four people, they would go, it's number two, and number one is actually the longest line. The first four people, number two, Number two, number two, number two. And he goes, he's looking at them like they're crazy. And he goes, number one. And then they all look at him like this. And they look back at the paper and they go to the next one. <clears throat> and num this one's number one. And that's the shortest line. And the guy hears these four people say that. And then he goes, number one. It's interesting because our society loves to be mediocre and lazy and they're celebrating garbage garbage lifestyles garbage habits they're celebrating that do you know they call math racist now they call math racist which is silly so they don't want you to be good at anything because that makes you different that makes you better than them and they don't like that Let's go to the next slide, Jim. These are fleas. 
And uh, this is on YouTube also. You can look it up. It's kind of the flea experiment. So they put fleas in a jar, and before they put that lid on there, these fleas are jumping out, out of the jar all over the place, right? And then they put a lid on the fleas for three days. And then the second picture is what happens when they took the lid off. The fleas will not jump higher than where that lid was. They won't jump over it. And when the fleas procreate and they have babies, the babies won't do it either. They'll jump as high as their parents. That's it. We were in a church last Sunday, um, my wife and I, and you know, you guys know I'm not a big talker, so I was going to be super quiet, you know, in this Bible study. And, and, and normally, you know, I would be, because I want to give respect and not, you know, step on toes or anything like that. But they were all, the, 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 the host of that Bible study was talking about that we're sinners. And you need, you need to pay attention to that and stop sinning and tell people you're sorry. And that was just repeated over and over and over. I, I couldn't take it. I went nuts. I'm just like, we are not sinners. We're saints. We're priests of the Most High God, right? There is a figure in front of us of what Christ wants us to be. And we know that we're not there. This, this happened in my own job. I did a lot of construction growing up. Um, never thought I would ever get out of that. I always wanted to do more, but I just never felt like I could. And then my buddy says, hey, do you want to come work for Pace Engineering and do electrical engineering? And I was like, yeah. So I went to work there, and it was weird because none of the people walking around smelled like whiskey and beer that morning, you know? <laughs> you work with a bunch of roofers, uh, they, you're going to get a lot of that. A lot of Neanderthals in, in roofing. Um, Gary, you probably know. Each class has their own habits, right? Uh, the electricians are the prima donnas on the work site, and the plumbers, you know, they're kind of like scratching their heads, you know. And so there's always those stereotypical people in these positions. And I get in this, and this is a different world. These are educated people. And if I have a problem, they just, they don't fight and argue about it. They sit down and they solve it. Totally different mentality. And it took me probably six years to feel like, I got along with these people. It took me that long. And it's, it's just like the flea. I, I, I could only jump that high. And then all of a sudden, I, I realized I could do more. That's the Christian life. We've got to realize that we're seated at the right hand of God. And we could be more, right? But we just don't, we don't, we don't jump high enough. Our parents don't tell us how to exceed our own limitations, and I think as Christians, we're caught up in a society of mediocrity, and that society is telling us, we don't want you to be any better than you are. We want to pay you welfare. We want you to sleep in tents. We want you to be dumbed down in our school system. We want that stuff. We don't want you to be smarter. They're dumbing us down in our colleges right now. Isn't that crazy? If you think about how, with the things that we can accomplish... We could, we could be, have beautiful art, and we could have beautiful statues, and beautiful buildings, and beautiful kitchens, and we could have uh, kids that listen. But you know what? That takes a lot of work, doesn't it? It takes a lot of training. That's what we don't want to do. And so we take this freedom that we have in Christ, and we get along with the world, and we just live this mediocre lifestyle. Our prayer life isn't good. And the reason why we don't see Jesus is because we can't, we're not conforming to him. 
That's why we don't see him at work in our life. It's because we just want to be mediocre. And if you just want to be mediocre, you're not going to know Christ. Let's go to chat, uh, First Peter. I'm kind of switching gears here. First Peter chapter 1. <laughs> I'm wrong on that one, too. Who back-checked this stuff? Jeez, that's just mediocre work, right? My goodness. Let's go to Second Peter chapter 1. Does the Bible tell you, Gary, how to build a home? No? That's weird. Does it tell you how to drive a car? Does it, does it tell you the ins and outs of relationships with your husband and wife? Somewhat. Right? There's some things there. So, but there's, there's a lot of stuff that's not written in the Bible. The Bible gives us the groundwork for all of that, doesn't it? And then we have to kind of figure out how to work with other people to build a home. We've got to figure that out. But in order to build a home, we have to have people give us drawings of what they want built or we can't estimate it. Right? There's always a chain that happens of things that are not in the Bible. So when I'm speaking about this today, I'm, I'm not only speaking about, dang, we could be more righteous, but I'm also saying, dang, you could be a better employee. You could be uh, the boss of your own company. You could, be, you could do anything you want to do. Anything that you set your mind on, you can do it. You have to stop listening to people that say that you can't. And you have to have this desire within yourself to not be mediocre, Right? You can be more in everything, right? So let's look at that attitude. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, it says, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, being as mediocre as possible, giving all diligence, right? Diligence. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. I've been in a lot of churches, and I'm sure you guys have been in a lot of churches too. And... I've got to say I'm not impressed for the most part because most of us are mediocre. We are comfortable with who and what we are, and we just don't care, right? We live lives that are not fitting in Christ. We're mediocre husbands. We're mediocre wives. We raise mediocre children, right? And that's not what the apostles had in mind. They were always take the next step up, Take the next step up. Take the next step up. And so when he's saying here, he's saying, add to your faith. People just stop there. I got faith. We're done. <laughs> Mic drop, you know. Add to your faith. It isn't just about believing in Jesus Christ. It's about growing as a person. And do, do you stop growing at a person at 80, 90, 100? Right? God is infinite. There's always no more to know, right? Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. How many of you guys read your Bible? A lot of hands, right? Add, a lot, a lot of hands didn't go up. That's okay. Add knowledge, right? And I, I don't think Peter's just saying Bible knowledge. I think he's talking about knowledge about everything. If you had Gary, sorry to pick on you, Gary. If you had Gary... And you're like, Gary, I want you to build a home for me. And he's just like, I'll give it my best shot, but I don't know how to build one. Right? What good is Gary? Right? It's like asking Randy, hey, could you do heart surgery on me? I, I mean, I, you're the only one I trust. And he's like, 
I'll give it a shot, man, right? <laughs> what good is Randy if he doesn't know how to do something, right? I can't help you with your problems if I myself aren't learning how to help people. We've got to become better, right? We have to become more knowledgeable about everything because then we become extremely valuable to people. This is why Jesus said uh, that, you know, those that are great among you should, will, shall be your servants. And usually the greatest among us act like God's. They want to be served, they want you know, all the best stuff, they want all the money, they want everything. And they treat their people in some companies like garbage. And they keep them down. You'll never, you'll, never, you'll never be any better than you are right now. Hey, you're topped out in pay. This is it, man. You'll never go further than this position. This is the end of the road. If you're a heart surgeon, who is the best person to serve somebody that has a heart condition? a heart surgeon. And so he is the best one to minister to that person. The more knowledgeable you are about everything, the more you should be serving, right? It's all about lifting people up, right? So add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, to self-control. We have a problem with that one, don't we, right? Knowledge can actually help us with self-control, If you want to be an animal, a brute animal that doesn't know anything, you're not going to have a whole lot of self-control. Why should I do that? Right? It's, it's, It's like the homelessness that we have right now. And I'm not talking about the people with mental conditions. I'm talking about people that just don't care. They simply want to live off the land. They want to occupy our parks. And they don't care. I've known people that have come out of homelessness. This guy was telling me, I've known a lot of people that came out of homelessness. I mean, Anthony, you know right? There's some guys out there that once they get out of that, they would tell you, don't give to those people. Don't do it. If they, if Paul said in the Bible, if you're not going to work, you're not going to eat. They don't realize, because they have no knowledge, they don't realize that they're pulling society down with them. They need to have self-control, right? If all of us just decided to stop working, where would, where would this world be? We'd run out of gas, our electricity would be turned off and half the world would be dead in a year. That's true. People would die, right? We're a society and we lean on one another, right? We have to have one another. We have to have a guy bringing food into town with a truck. We've got a guy, you know, working in the oil field so we can have fuel to fuel the truck. And everybody plays a part. Everybody plays a part. And we have to have self-control. If we don't have self-control, then you have chaos in society and we need more laws, more cops, right? We're a community. So self-control is important. And it says perseverance. And with perseverance, uh, that's really a faithful understanding of moving forward all the time, being consistent, persevering, not only in our faith, but as fathers, as mothers, as doctors, right? Persevering, right? Be there, present, to show up. And to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, I like this, how he ends this, because we talk about all this building up, adding to our faith, and we're building, and we're building, and we're building, and I should be super proud of myself in the end, and tell you how dumb you are, right? No. The purpose in the end, it says, uh, perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, love. That's the end goal of all of your learning of all of your education, 
of all of your efforts, of all of your perseverance, in the end, it's to serve people the best way you can. It's to enrich people. And that takes a lot of effort. Do you want 619 laws after that to tell you what to do along with it? All these laws that you've got to, I mean, do you want law, honestly? So the, the, the Christian, the, the liberty we have isn't to spend it on ourselves. It's to go forward in a guilt-free condition of learning how to become better servants and better fathers and mothers, right? It's, it's about building people up. That's what it's all about. I'm sorry, Jim. I think we need to go two slides forward. Oh, you're good. All right. Let's go to Luke uh, chapter 4 and verse 18. <clears throat> this is kind of what this, this whole discussion we're having is really kind of overlooked a lot of times. We preach Jesus crucified. He died for our sins so that I could be saved and I can have eternal life with him and yada, yada, yada. Right? But you look at what Christ said in verse 18 when he's just a child. And he says in 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery to the sight of the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. When you live in a world that says that you can't, you'll never be this. You can never attain great things, right? That's what Jesus came to do, right? Because these people, it's not only the law that they're under that he wants to set them free from, it's all their fears, it's all their anxieties. That's why he's talking about the flower of the field. He says, does it spin and toil? And he said, Solomon himself was not even arrayed like one of these flowers. He said, are the birds anxious about where they're going to get their meal? He know, they know that God's going to feed them. He's, he's come to set us free from all of the expectations that the world has from us, of all the limits that it's placed on us. He wants us to excel and grow even more. And it's an amazing thing, and you guys have experienced this, I'm sure, in, in, in some capacity or maybe, in a, maybe a lot. But when you excel at life and you realize something new, you're like, man, I wish I knew that years ago. I would have been so much more free, right? I used to be a really angry guy growing up. I had a chip on my shoulder, and I don't remember what happened, but I was going to go give somebody the, the riot act. And if he spoke back to me, I was going to just knock him right in the nose. And for some reason, this guy that I don't even know stops me, and he goes, it never has to be like this. And that was that one moment in my life that just changed everything. I'm like, it doesn't. It's like that aha moment where I'm like, why do I live like this? Why do I live angry all the time? Right? And it's, it's, it's a moment where you're just like, that, that's, that set me free at that point. I'm just like, gosh, I wish I knew that years ago. And that's what Jesus has come to do. It's not just the aha moment where I want to be baptized in Christ, that I want to become a new creation. He's got an infinite more of those things for you to realize. And as we 
come to those aha moments. You know, we, we feel like we're, I think every Christian could attest to this. We kind of have this climb. And we're like, oh man, that felt great to learn something new. And you're practicing it and you're feeling great about it. And then you plateau for about five years. And you're like, this is getting kind of boring, right? But those are the opportunities we have to excel, right? Go learn something. Go do something. Be a, be a servant. And God is going to bring those lessons into your life when you need them to help you grow. And so that's exactly what he's, he's, he's come to do is set, to set us free to give sight to the blind and how blind was I at that point in my life? And God put that person in my track. And I was like, wow, that was awesome. One word from you to someone else like that could change their life forever. So let's go to the sixth slide, Jim. <clears throat> no law equals no limits. We have no limits, provided that we're walking in love, right? No law equals no limits. So we got to get out of the mindset of following all the rules, expectations, negative thoughts, and judgments of others around you. We don't want to be worldly-minded, but glorify Christ in our life, and God will take you to places that you never thought was possible. Let's go to the seventh slide, uh, Jim. Find a flea that is jumping higher than you. That's the goal, right? Find a flea that's jumping higher than you. You know, the Christian walk starts out by viewing people, and we view those people, and we're going, okay, he's got something right going on in his life. I want to learn that, right? Go talk to that person. Get to know them. Find out why they're able to do what they're doing, right? What books are they reading, right? What movies are they watching? Like, what, what, I want to get into that person's head because I want to be, I want to be better at something, right? If you're a, a terrible husband, go talk to a good one. <laughs> Why do you treat your wife, your wife so well, right? And going back to that kitchen thing, right? If, 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 if you don't make a home a peaceable home, it's not going to be a peaceable home. If you don't work things out with your spouse, and you don't treat them right, you're never going to have rest. Your home will not be a place where you come and you're like, man, I'm glad I'm home. I know a guy, uh, it was just, I was just riding with him in the car. We went to Nevada and back. And his wife said to him one day, I wish, sometimes I just want to tear your face off. And he's like, it's not the best relationship. And I'm like, really? <laughs> and, and she says things that, they're really mean, but he's done things that are really stupid. And so they're at odds and they're, they're, they're just button heads all the time. And he leaves early in the morning so he doesn't have to talk to her and he doesn't come home at night until late because he doesn't want the drama. And I'm like, this is kind of on you, dude. It takes work to have a peaceful home. But God can definitely do that, can he? He can change the hearts, but we've got it. We have to increase in knowledge, virtue, self-control, and we have to persevere at it in order to get there. If you don't create the peace in your home, it ain't going to happen. If you don't raise kids that are disciplined, it's going to be chaos 24-7, right? It's going to be hell on wheels all the time. So if you're not investing in your wife and you're not investing in your kids and you've got this chaotic home and you just want to get out of it, right, 
And you see this nice, humble lady over here that's, oh, well, she's cute, and she says, there's no drama with her. Well, where are you going to go? Home? Or are you going to go over there? Right? There's a reason why we have divorces and we have you know, affairs and all this stuff. It's because we're not happy. But we're, not, we're, we're living the mediocre life. We don't, we don't want to invest in it. We don't want to know how to make it better. And so we just, we just give up, and we go the opposite way. I was watching this movie uh, yesterday, and uh, this guy said, uh, well, his wife was painting a picture, and she died in the middle of painting the picture. Uh, wasn't able to finish it, and he had it on his wall in his office. And it, it was the, of what was painted, it was beautiful. But he said it's so depressing to look at. He said any un, unfinished picture is depressing to look at. And that's like a marriage, right? I, sorry, Ed, I'll use, use an example. Ed, Ed's wife passed some time ago. But Ed gets to look back at a beautiful life, a beautiful picture, and it's completed. And he can always look back on that past, and he looks at it and goes, that makes me happy. What doesn't make you happy is when you have a divorce and you look back on that picture and it's unfinished, right? So we want to strive to paint a beautiful picture, right? So find a flea that's jumping higher than you. That's kind of where you can start. And there comes a point when you outgrow that person. And I had a chapel, chaplain like that. I always looked up to him, he, you know, masters in divinity and Greek scholar, you know, uh, amazing, amazing guy. And I told him, I'm going to marry Holly. And he's like, oh, she's from the Church of Christ, though. They believe you have to be baptized to be saved. That's a works righteousness. And I said, no, it's not. And he's like, well, yeah, it is, brother Romans. And he goes to Romans. And I said, can we define works righteousness? Let's define that as Paul defined it in Romans. And we went through there, and I took him to the point where he realized that he couldn't use that as an excuse to discount them. And I've never seen him do this before, but he slammed his face, or his face, I wish he would have slammed his face. He slammed his fist into the table, got up, and I don't remember what he yelled at me, but he yelled something. And, I, and this is, you know, a decade or so ago, and I just smiled, you know. It was, it was so, such a funny thing for me because I didn't feel intimidated. I didn't feel threatened because I knew that what I was saying was right. And that's when I realized that uh, he, his theology keeps him in a box, and he can't grow. He can't grow out of that. He's more proud of his theology than he is about getting closer to Christ. And that alienates himself from people, right? And so you're always going to find these people that you look up to, and I, I believe that he's a Christian. I believe that God put him in my life for a reason. He caused growth in my life. But eventually I got to the point where I'm like, he really doesn't have much more to teach me. That's okay. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Why is Paul imitating Christ? Why isn't he imitating somebody that's like Peter, and Peter's imitating Jesus. It's because he got to the point where he outgrew everyone, and he knows who Jesus Christ is, and he follows that path. I, he goes, I don't need anybody to tell me what to do. I already know what I'm doing. I'm onward and upward, man. I, I, I'm fighting the good fight every day, persevering, right? And that all ends in loving people. So let's go to the eighth slide, Jim. There's a proverb 
And it says, the generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. And that's a, that's a great scripture to live by. And uh, I, I don't know how that came into my brain. You know, I've kind of been that way um, for a long time, but I believe in networking people, and I believe that enriching everyone around you brings everyone up. And in the end, it's almost like this party. You know, even in business, it's this way. I, I don't have, you know, I have contractors that'll call me on Friday just to wish me a happy, happy weekend. You know, how many contractors are going to call an engineer and say that? But it's because I believe in enriching everybody, right? If we go out in the field and we're talking to contractors, I tell them, man, hey, great job on that. Or if they have a problem, we work it out. You know, I don't, I don't just give them, you know, only one option and say, well, you decided to do that way, you're paying for it. No, let's work it out. Let's make sure that they're, they're taken care of, right? Let's work together as a team. And you're always enriching people, always. You know, they, they have a contractor that put, uh, he's got 30, 30 pole bases going in, and an inspector comes out and says, oh, you got to have a ground rod in every single one of those poles, and he's, he's just like, oh, man, I didn't know that. It's not on the drawings, this and that. And so I actually went to bat with the uh, inspector and showed him that he was wrong. By code, you don't have to do that. And he went and asked a, a 45-year electrician, and the electrician didn't know that either. He's like, huh. He went and read the code, and he's just like, I guess I don't have to put ground rods and poles anymore. And that was going to be a big deal because, I mean, that's a lot of copper, right? But enrich everybody. Anyone you come across, if you enrich their life, if you build them up, if you edify them, are they going to slap you in the face? They're going to appreciate you, aren't they? So how awesome it is, is it to be in a group of people where we all appreciate one another so much? But in order to appreciate or to build someone up, you've got to be knowledgeable. You can't stay down in the mud, right? I usually call people that stay down in the mud uh, smooth brains right? Or soft heads, right? They just, they, all they want to do is just mooch off of everybody. They're, they're offering nothing in return. And they're down in the pit because they're not enriching people. If they enriched people, well, they'd have to know how to enrich them first, how to raise them up, how to help them, then they would also would be enriched, wouldn't they? They'd have that satisfaction at the end of the day that I did a good deed, Right? I, I, I was able to lift that, that person up today. And then we become a family, right? But that takes a lot of work, doesn't it? Let's go to the closing slide there. So that may seem like a little thing, and I did not know how to bring this sermon today because this is all about the Christian life. It's so, so important that we're diligent, and it's all about enriching people. All the knowledge that we have, all that knowledge that we have, it should be used in service to others. And when you see, when you kind of start out jumping that flea next to you, but you're encouraging that flea to jump a little higher, they start jumping a little bit higher, right? And then there's 10 other fleas around that guy, and they're like, I could jump higher. I could do more. And they start jumping higher. And you can see where the edification in the body of Christ, how that amplifies and just amplifies 
and amplifies. And if we did more of that, our church would be unstoppable. I'm not talking about Redwood Christian Church. I mean the church in general would be unstoppable if we just jumped a little bit higher. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for uh, this body, this church. It's just amazing that uh, we can walk in the door and we just have 10 people just greeting. I just, I feel the love in this church and I just ask that, you know, you just keep us uh, focused on you, uh, jumping just a little higher every day and that we would go out and enrich people in you. In Jesus' name.